0: will be 1 Thessalonians 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then 1 Thessalonians. So, kind of likes to hide out there. but We're going to go all through chapter 1, um, but we're going to predominantly hang around verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> we'll kind of get into it and... I think it'll be a source of encouragement uh, for all of us today. First Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Let's remember this is the word of God. Let's take heed how we hear it. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you. Peace. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. Amen. I often... Um, remember this story about a, a young boy who was probably nine or ten. He <clears throat> was out, learned to fish from one of his friends who took him out with him and his dad. And the little boy had a, uh, a fishing pole, you know, the little ones with the bobbers, the small hook, pretty much good for catching little fish. And the boy's dad wasn't much of a fisherman. He was, he was often at work and said, so Dad didn't really have time to teach the boy how to fish. But during the summers, the boy would get out, and he would go uh, to the lake near his house, and he would fish. And one morning, he was out there, and an older gentleman came by, and being a good fisherman, asked if he could fish close to the young boy. And the young boy, being a good fisherman, said, of course. And the young boy looked, and he saw this this older gentleman's um, stack of rod and reels, and they looked different than his. There was different buttons, different color string, and the baits looked completely different to what he was using. And so the, the man started to fish, and the boy looked at his bobber waiting for it to fall underneath for him to catch a little fish. And all of a sudden he heard a commotion. He looks over, and the gentleman, hadn't even been 10 minutes, was pulling in a massive fish. So the boy, being a good fisherman, ran over there and asked How did you catch it? What did you catch him on? Why can't I catch fish like this on mine? And the wise gentleman said, Son, you're not using the right equipment. You see, the stuff that you're using is to catch small fish. What you're using is not going to catch fish like this. But if you want, I can show you, and I can teach you how to fish. And so for the whole summer, the boy would meet the old man at the lake and they would go around, the old man would talk to him about the different types of knots, the different types of baits to use, how the weather played into effect in catching fish, how the different clarity of the water and what to use here and what to do. And the boy grew and became a very good fisherman. Found a hobby that he enjoyed and really liked to do. And so what i want to kind of illustrate here is that we all need examples in our life. Often I, I hear mentors and it's not uncommon for me to be talking to my friends and, and they say, well, I have a meeting with my mentor. You see it a lot in corporate America or just in, in other places. People find somebody who's, who's had some experience in either what they're doing or just life and they, they want to learn from them. They're looking for an example. Um, <clears throat> and so having a mentor is a good thing. What about our Christian life? Who is, who is mentoring us in our walk with God? The Bible is complete and full of numerous role models and examples to follow. Some show us what we should do, and others show us what we shouldn't do. But still, we need to have examples. And that's why I wanted to focus on this passage just a little bit. Paul was encouraging and honoring these Christians. We see that in the in the first eight verses. But it's important for us, and I think it's really vital for us to see why Paul was exhorting these Christians in, in a very basic uh, in their basic Christian lives. And I think it would be good for us to see and, and, and to, to examine our own lives as we look at what this, this church in Thessalonia was doing. So if you would look at verse nine. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from God, from idols, to serve the living and true God. So like I said, Paul has, has, has told them that um, they're doing a good job, that they're setting a good example for everybody else in the area. And so what is, the, what is the first thing we see that the Thessalonians had done? It's at the end of verse or kind of towards the the end of verse 9, it says they turn to God. In order to please God, we have to turn to God. We can't not turn to God and expect to please Him. If we don't respect God or love God, then how can we please Him? So we see that these people, they turn to God. Now I want want us to remember, and I don't want to dive verse off into the doctrine of election, but these people cannot turn to God apart on their own selves. You see, there's this huge, huge, um, horrible doctrine that is being produced and thrown across <clears throat> the world. And basically what it says is that we are mostly good. In fact, if you were to draw a, do- uh, draw a line on a whiteboard, there would be just a circle. And if you were to take a marker, whatever color, and you put a little dot, that's basically what people think we are. We're, we're people that are mostly good, though we make a few bad mistakes. But the reality of the situation is that's not what the Bible says we are. You need to take that marker and fill in that whole circle. And That's how much sin consumes us. We're not good people that make bad choices. We're bad people, and we make bad choices. And it's called, more accurately, we're sinners and we sin. So we need to work apart from us. We need God to come in and to change us. And, and just to kind of show you, David even said in Psalms 51, five, from the womb I was conceived in iniquity. He's saying from the moment I came forth in this world, sin had already corrupted me. Paul, the same person who wrote this epistle, said in Romans chapter 3, no, no one seeks after God. No one is righteous. We've all sinned. We all incur what the end of this verse 10 says the wrath to come. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And so only because of election and only because of the work outside of these people were they able to turn to God. Look in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Are you God's chosen here today? They came to God not because they had some ability to use their free will, We understand even faith is a gift of God. We can't even believe in the gospel until God gives us that gift of faith, until God opens our eyes through regeneration and we see the beauty of it. it not funny how often people look at you and say, oh, you're a Christian, and then they usually have something to criticize about. I don't understand why you could believe in stuff like this. It all seems foolish to them because their eyes are dark. And if we're sitting here today and and that's our attitude towards Christianity, then we need to, to wonder, have we turned to God and ask ourselves and to evaluate that? Sometimes there's a brump turns to God. We think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul thinking he is doing everything good. In fact, if you think about Paul, Paul even said, I have all kinds of room to boast about me. Paul was the Pharisee among Pharisees. He was trained under one of the best um, men at that time in his school. Paul knew what the Bible said. He knew what, what was supposed to be doing, and what yet what was Paul doing? He knew it in his head, but not his heart. And so we find that Paul is persecuting the very people that belong to God. And what happens on the road to Damascus, on the way for him, to persecute more people. There was an encounter with God. Paul didn't just decide that he was going to encounter God that day. God decided that he was going to have an encounter with Paul. And Paul's life was totally changed for the rest of his life. And it was because of that encounter that we have so many of Paul's letters in our Bible and so much wisdom that we can go off of Do we as Christians turn to God in our daily lives? Do we turn to him in our job, in our school, our finances, or whatever it may be? Or do we kind of, sort of, try to draw a line between a spiritual life and a physical life, forgetting that our spiritual life directly influences our physical life and the way we see things? Do we turn to God in our marriages? What about our our relationships? I've already mentioned our work. When people see us work or they look at our marriages, can they see an example of God there? Do they see something different? Or do they see exactly what they would see on television? It's important for us as Christians to remember to turn to God. If you're not a Christian, if you don't know God and you haven't turned to Him, I would tell you today that today is the day of salvation. You see, so many times people sit and they think that they have more time, and that's foolishness. You can look on any news, and you, you constantly see of young people dying, people taken away from this life way sooner than they thought. <clears throat> You're not guaranteed the next few seconds of your life. Perhaps maybe you're younger and you think, oh, I have so much that I want to try out in the world. I know what the right thing to do is, but I think that sometimes there's other things that I know God would disapprove of that I really want to try out. And then once I kind of get all that out, then then I'll turn to God. I would tell you that it's not worth it. So many of us came to Christ later on in our lives. And before Christ, there were so many things that we regret about, that we carry on into our lives and it affects us. And our prayer for our children is that they never, ever experience the things that we went through, that they would always love God, and that they would always turn to Christ. That when they read this passage, you go, "I've been turning to God ever since I was younger, because that's what my parents taught me to do." The stories that seem cool, that perhaps younger people have, they're not. The pain that you bring, it's real. And the stuff that you deal with, you will deal with not just for a moment, but for the rest of your life. So turn to God. Turn to God today. So we see the first thing that the Thessalonian church did was they they turned to God. But what did they turn to God from? Well, they turned to God from idols, verse 9 says. Now, it is true that the Gentiles that made up mostly the church there at Thessalonica were idol worshipers. And, and so often we, when, we think of, when we think of idol worshipers, we, we think of statues and we think of you know, temples and all these other things. Um, and people going there to, to worship. But while some of that is true... We all were idol worshippers before we came to Christ. You see, an idol does not have to be a statue that you fall down to. An idol can be a way of thinking. It can be anything. And a good way for us to consider what idols are. An idol is anything that replaces Christ in your life. It's so easy to have different idols, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in next. But I want you to consider Samson for a moment. Samson took a special vow, a Nazarite vow, right? To be used by God in a mighty way. And we see Samson grow up and do many great feats for God, but we also see Samson falling down and falling into sin. Why? Why? because he raised other things up over God's standard and decided to worship those. Relationships that he shouldn't be having. All these other things, and what did it cost him? Well, eventually his life, but not before he lost his eyes. His dignity. He died in, uh, not in an, in an honorable way, I mean, in, in one sense, yes, he, he prayed for strength to defeat God's uh, enemies, and, that, and that's what happened, but probably not in the way that he thought he was going to die. Think about his example and, and, and see and, and know what can happen if you have idols that come into your life. I want you to think about another group of men, though. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, friends of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar comes to them and says, hey, you need to worship this God, or I'm going to throw you in this fire. And what do they say? They don't say, time out, there's a few things we want to go do, and then we'll come back and worship God. Or, yeah, we'll bow down and worship this idol now, just for fun, just for a little bit of time, and then we'll get back. No, they stood firm in their faith, and they said, we won't bow down. And if you want to throw us in this fire, we have a God that saves us. But even if he won't keep us out of that furnace, we'll still go in there, despise obeying you and falling down to the idol. Think if Samson had that. And what happens? happens, What's the example that we can see from those three men? That people who stand firm for God may go through fiery times, may go through very scary times. But who was that fourth person in the fire? Incarnate Jesus being with them through the fire. Okay, Drew, great. That's that's awesome. But what, what does this have to do with our life? Well, one I want us to remember that we were all idol worshipers at one time in our life, but remember that God can use idol worshipers to do great and mighty things. Think of Abraham, literally a moon worshiper. God used him to become the father of nations. We need to search our hearts and see if there's idols. Man, is it work? Is it your job? Is it perhaps our reputation. Is it sometimes okay that we want people to know we're Christians, but are other times we don't want that to happen because we are afraid they're going to poke a hole in our testimony? Ladies, I know that that you struggle with, with things just the same as guys do. And are there certain things in your life that you're spending more time that have a higher place in your life, that you're more in love with than God? And it's just not parents. It's just not older people. It's the same thing for you young people. What What idols do you have in your life? Is it sports? Is it video games? Is it popularity? What is it that's keeping you from God? A man I respect much said something very important to me when or important i heard it one day he said if you spend more time on facebook than you do in the bible we there's a problem and it's true what do we we spend our time on what is our focus on is it on god or is it on the world I now i understand we're not going to walk around with a bible and one hand and in our hammer in the other or whatever keyboard whatever we need to throughout the day and and i get it that there's certain times for people that they, they do devotions and i'm not saying that you need to do your devotions in the morning though there's a lot of biblical evidence that, that many people did it and and it was um it's benefiting for me personally, my mind's a little bit more alert. I can focus a little bit better on the text. My mind's more clear and less apt to stray during my prayers. But regardless, it's, it's a heart issue. It's a focus issue. Do you, do you want to be in your Bible? When you, when you miss that time, when you, when you blow through the alarm and you, you don't get to it because you're having to race off to work, do you, do you kind of go, oh, man, I missed that time? Or is it just one of these things where we come in and we put our Bible down on the counter after Sunday and we pick it up Sunday morning as we go off to church again? We can all have idols in our lives and they can creep in and we need to pray and ask God to reveal where we have idols in our life. What are those things that are keeping us from him? I know that we all struggle with them. And I know that there's room for all of us to to remove idols and to focus more on Christ, to follow these examples of these people in Thessalonica. So we see that they turned to God and that they turned to God from idols. But what's the third thing? What's the third thing that they did? They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. No longer were they serving a statue. No longer were they trying to impress an inanimate object that has nothing and would never give them any feedback. Now they've, they've turned and they're serving a living God. And we've seen that God gives us a standard and we see that we fail it and we see God's love and mercy for his children. There is a communication between God and his children. That's what, this whole, that's what the whole church service is for. God speaks to us, come worship me. We pray and ask God to come to the worship. Then we sing a song of rejoice back to him. Then God speaks to us in his word. We speak to him through silent confession of prayer. God speaks to us of assurance of a pardon. We speak back to him in another song. We continue to speak to him in the congregational prayer. And then he speaks to us through his word. It's back and forth. That's what what becoming a, a... one of the benefits of having a, being a Christian is, is you have a God who loves you, who communicates you through his word, who loves you and cares for you. He's not some statue. They serve God. We've talked a little bit about this in Sunday school class, but God doesn't call us to be bench warmers once we become part of his family. He doesn't say, pray this prayer, write the date in the back of your book, and then never do anything else for me. No, God's given us all gifts. It's interesting to see in our church how everybody blends in and how they help out and they do different things. It's such an encouragement to me. If everybody was to look down at the floor right now, there's probably not any dirt because somebody comes in and serves God by by cleaning this church. And it's great. We can sit in here on clean pews and worship God, not wondering if we're and to stain the carpet, or whatever the case may be. Each And every one of you serves the Lord and has gifts. And some of it may be um, teaching. Some of it may be another thing. Some of it may be another thing. But the point of it is, is we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It does us no good to, to sit back and do nothing. And in fact, it, it actually starts to bring into your, a question of, of salvation, Right? God, God says we need to be, be doing the Word. And, and part of the doing Word is, is using our, our gifts, but also obeying God's Word. It does us no good to just try to sit at the bench and hope somebody else will tell that person about Christ. It does us no good to sit on the bench and, and think that somebody else will pray for that person. It does us no good to sit there and think somebody else will pray for Drew. I need all of your prayers. I need them every day. So does my family. And I know that you all need my prayers. <clears throat> so let's not be bench warmers. Let's be active. Let's be do, doers of the word. And though each of us have certain gifts, we also have mandates, right? We, we mentioned it before, to evangelize and, and to tell others about Christ. We can't ignore that just because we aren't good at it. There's commands that God has given to us that we are to follow each and every day of our lives. <clears throat> One of the things that we see our gifts do when we serve the Lord is they bring glory to him. That Not only that, though, they, they edify, edify the saints around you. I don't think anybody ever has left a potluck here and been like, that was a waste of time. Rather, it's probably a time of great encouragement, a time of good food, and you see everybody serving each other. It's an awesome time. I, I love it. It's a great time of fellowship. We see in verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone, and God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. You see, the people were serving God, and they were setting a good example that the word had spread out across um, a huge area. And so when Paul shows up, he's like, Oh, yeah, but I don't don't even you don't even need to tell me what's going on because everybody else is telling, you, telling me what's going on. <clears throat> An example of this I, I, I want to share is there was a deacon, and I can't remember um, exactly the, the time frame, 40s or, or 50s, um, maybe late 30s. Um, I've heard this story multiple times, but I, I can't really um, claim its legitimacy, but it still illustrates the point really well. There was a deacon... Um, who was helping his church they were they were doing a revival so the deacon was in the back looking and and helping people find the seat and and the revival tent just kind of filled up and in walks a little boy well not little young man teenager comes in and he's kind of looking around seeing if he could find a place to sit and there's there's literally no place to sit And the deacon sees him look and kind of sink his shoulders and and turn to walk out. And the deacon runs over and says, hey, hey, I can get you a chair. Can you just wait right here for a minute? And the boy's like, well, you know, I don't want to be, no, 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 let me go get a chair. I'll be right back. So the deacon runs and gets a chair and comes back. And that boy sat there and listened to the service. And the deacon could look over and start to see tears running down that little boy's face. And that night he had his encounter with God. He became a Christian that night that deacon gave that chair to a young man named Billy Graham. So, if you think that your little acts of service mean nothing, think about the act of giving a chair to one person, how that resonates out throughout an entire history. It's affected my, my family. That's how my mom says she has come to Christ, was through Billy Graham. And I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for my mom. We can't be bench warmers. Every proverbial pass shot we take for Christ matters. It encourages others and it brings glory to God. So how do we serve? How 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 can we how can we serve God? Well it, it starts very small <clears throat> with little things. Identify your gifts and see if there's a place in the church that you can help out. But you can serve even each other by giving an encouraging word. Children, encourage your siblings. Teenagers, encourage your parents. And adults, encourage the older folks. Bring glory to God through your words and edify the body. Are we good examples? Are we serving the Lord And when people see us, do they see people that have changed? Do they see people that have had an encounter with God? Or do they see people who so commonly we see in the South that live normal lives that look just like the rest of the world, but they say they love Jesus? What do our lives look like? Are we true Christians or are we fake Christians? What kind of examples are we setting? <clears throat> we need to serve God and set examples for the world to see. Finally, the fourth thing that they did. They waited for his son, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So many people want to say the gospel is all about <clears throat> going to heaven if you say this little prayer you'll go to heaven and everything will be awesome and while it is true that if you accept Christ you're one of God's chosen ones that you will go to heaven and heaven will be an amazing place but in reality the reason we need to be saved is because our sin incurs the wrath of God that's exactly what Paul's messages at the end of verse 10. Are we focused on Jesus? Is he our Savior from the wrath to come? Or do we think that we can work enough, that we can do enough, that we can memorize enough Bible verses, that we can listen to enough sermons, that we can do enough that when it comes time to stand before God, we say, Look what I've done? Or do we realize that that's foolishness? We can't earn our way to salvation. All it takes is one sin. To offend a holy God one time. An everlasting, perfect, and holy God. To incur the wrath to come. But praise God, he's given us his son. He's given us his son, Jesus. Who 2,000 years ago died on the cross. And has given us the opportunity to be reconciled. To be into that living Relationship with God. So these Thessalonians, they waited, they're waiting for the sun. <clears throat> this waiting is not like something that we wait for, like we're waiting for our oil to get changed, or we're waiting for the line in the food store, or whatever it is. Rather, it's a, it's a longing. Um, it's a longing, it's a desire to be with that person. Do you have a longing and desire to be with Christ? Do you realize that heaven is going to be the perfect church? Heaven will be the perfect place where we can worship God. That a preacher can get up and preach and not stumble over his words or not get discombobulated. We'll have the best preacher there. That it will literally be a lot like church. Do you love God's people? Do you love church? If the answer is no, then heaven is probably not a place that you would want to be. But are we waiting? Are we, are we desiring to be there? Are we desiring to meet Christ face-to-face one day? <clears throat> Where is our focus? Is it on Christ? Or is it on the things of the world that tell us that are more important than Christ. No, no, your focus needs to be on making lots of money so you can have all these things. So then your reputation will be good. Oh, no, no, you need to keep working so that you can buy these clothes so that you can take a picture of yourself and then you get lots and lots of likes on Instagram. Are, are we focused there? Or is our focus back to Christ where it needs to be? Like I said, none of those things or any of them are in and of themselves or bad. It's not bad to. To have Instagram, it's not bad to to have possessions. But is our focus on gaining more things in this world that are going to burn? Or is our focus on doing what God commands? And maybe going to heaven and dragging as many people as we can with us. I've often heard people say, if you're really a Christian, and this is usually coming from an atheist, somebody who hates Christianity, they say, if you really, really believe that, why don't you ever tell any people about it? You either don't believe it, or you're the most selfish person I've ever known. And it's true. We 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 need we need to to focus. We need to do what God commands us to do. So where's our attention? Em and I often watch war movies, um, and it doesn't matter which war movie or which series you watch. There's always comes a scene where. There is a woman or a child waiting for the husband, the dad to get off the ship, to get out of the airplane, to get out of the taxi cab, and you see it. You see it in their eyes. They're waiting. They're longing. They, they've waited so long to be with this person. All the other cares of the world, it doesn't matter. The, the toilet could be broke. The washing machine could be a mess. It doesn't matter. All they want to do is be with that person. is that our view of Christ? Is that what our longing is for? Do we consider all we do now as a preparation to meet God one day? Is our mind in the world or is it in the next? The one that we will be going to. <clears throat> so in closing, we've seen that these people are are being encouraged and edified by Paul for being good examples. And the reason they were good examples is because they turned to God. They left their idol worshiping. They serve God, and their focus is on Christ who's going to save them from the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, I I want this to be encouraging to everybody. There's a time where we can look and evaluate things in our own lives that we can get rid of so that we can be more sanctified, that we can be more Christ-like. <clears throat> Maybe you're sitting here today and you've, you've been a Christian for a long time and you realize that there's still some idols you have in your life that we need, that you need to get rid of. I would tell you, repent and believe the gospel. Christ will forgive you and restore you and bring you close to him. Maybe you're sitting here and and you think you're a Christian, but you realize your life probably doesn't really look like what a Christian should. You read verses 9 and 10 and you're like, I just don't really see my life being that way. My advice to you is repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. He will forgive you and restore you. Maybe you're sitting here today and this all seems like something new to you or maybe something you've heard over and over and over again. And you think that God isn't for you. that Perhaps this is just a bunch of silly stuff. Perhaps it's a chore to come to church on Sunday. I would encourage you to repent and believe the gospel today. As I said earlier, you're not guaranteed one moment of your next breath, one minute of this day. I would encourage you, if that's you today, not to walk out those doors without talking to me or one of the men here. There are some seriously good, godly men that sit in these pews. With that, let's be encouraged. Let's follow the examples that other Christians have set. Let's turn to God in everything we do. Let's evaluate and get rid of idols. Let's serve God. And let's wait on the Son. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this passage. And we ask, Father, that you would <coughs> reveal to us the need to turn to you not just for salvation but a constant turning every day in a reliance upon you that we need you in everything we do from our school from our sports to our jobs to our marriages to our lives we need you in every single faucet of that Father help us any idols you may have in our life that we identify those and we throw them away and we repent and we believe <clears throat> in your your promise of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to serve each other, to serve those around us, to set good examples for our children, to set good examples for our parents, to set good examples for other believers and for those all around us, that we would set an, an example that shines and points to you, that would lead others to them, not because of our great efforts and works, but only because you have chosen us. You have given us faith and you have given us the strength to do these things, God. Finally, help us to focus on your son for all that he's done for us to think about and to meditate upon how he reconciles us to you, creating, us, creating our hearts a longing and a desire to just want to be with Christ and to be more like her. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.